from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. Josh Bywater, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. Caitlin Wilcox, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and director. On previous episodes, we've talked quite a bit about the actor's product, that constellation of intellectual, emotional, and physical attributes that an actor is going to bring to any play that they're a part of. Uh, And many of the episodes that we've had up until now have really been talking primarily about the ways to harness and identify the intellectual and emotional aspects of what makes up an actor. Today we're going to be talking about some of the physical attributes that make up an actor's product. Their look, for a better word, what they look like facially and also their body type. And we'll be talking with actors today both about how they have come to understand the way that figures into what their product as an actor is, but also since their body and face is also something that they carry with them when they are not working, how the commodification of that part of them in their acting work uh, has affected the way that they think about and relate to their physical selves and the rest of their lives as well. So to start us off, let's talk a bit about why as an actor what your physical type is might matter uh, in terms of of being cast in the career you might have. Well, in terms of that constellation of intellectual and emotional and physical elements that, that make up an actor that you were talking about, I think the physical is the element that you lead with. It is the first thing that anybody is going to be able to understand about you and about your type. And so when you walk into the room as an actor, the way that you present yourself physically tells a story. And, and I think that there's a very real way in which the story that your physical self tells um, is going to be an important tool in the story that the director is trying to tell with the film or with the, the play. I think you can, you know, see pretty simply why it would matter to someone if you just imagined several productions that were very similar in many in in every other respect uh, of Hamlet but in one where Hamlet was six foot eight and very very skinny and one where he was four feet tall and one where he was you know six feet tall and one where he was in a wheelchair and one where he weighed 400 pounds even with everything else being almost identical in those productions you can imagine in those extreme cases the ways in which that would impact the way an audience would view the journey of Hamlet and what was going on with Hamlet because of the associations that they lay on those physical attributes. And that is not to say any one of those things would be a wrong way to do Hamlet. All of them would would be a very appropriate and interesting way to do Hamlet, potentially, but they're different ways of doing Hamlet in the same way that you know, any number of the, that if a Hamlet that leads with his intellect versus a Hamlet that, you know, leads with his more visceral side, those are, even if every, all the costume and the look and everything else is the same, that's going to make a different, a different performance. So it's just one of those things that is 
the way that you as an actor look on stage becomes part of the storytelling tools of the, the director. Well, and it's interesting too because it goes even before you walk in the room. Even before anything else is attributed to yourself, it's it's your headshot, which we've talked about um, in previous episodes. So literally, people, the casting director, or the director, whoever is going through this stuff at first, is looking at a picture of you, and that is the first basis of even getting into the room. Yeah. And I think something that uh, we've talked a bit about this when we talked about type in general. You know that people oftentimes think of type, and certainly including their physical type, as being a limiting element. But I think it's something that's important to think about. It is something that you bring to the role. It is, it is something that you are going to add to the production of looking whatever way it is that you look. Um, it's something that presumably, if you've been cast, it's because they like what the look is that you have in terms of what it brings to the story. So, I mean, I think that that's an important thing to embrace, that when you get cast in a role, it is going to be in part because they like what your look does for the story. Similarly, candidly, there's going to be flip sides where you don't get cast because they like what the look of someone else does for the story better. And also beyond that, there are some scripts where it's even more limiting because the other characters in the play directly reference your physical attributes. I mean, you can't, you can't have a skinny Effie in Dreamgirls or non-redheaded Annie because it's several times referenced within the context of the play. Um, so that's more limiting. And in terms of, of that and in terms of the storytelling value of your look, sometimes it can be you know, that sort of a thing where it is a shortcut to a degree in terms of the storytelling. Someone walks on and you have this group of sort of cultural expectations of someone who looks like that and that is a way that the director can allow us to, you know, lean on our cultural expectations and allow us to jump several steps ahead of the story as soon as the person walks on stage and looks like they look like. And on the other hand, you can also do the flip, which is you bring somebody on who has certain cultural expectations of how they look and they turn out to be something quite different. But in either case, again, it is using what the actor looks like as storytelling leverage. Or even in terms of like the archetypes that are typically in plays, you know, there are thousands and thousands of different specific characters, but there do tend to be archetypes of leading ladies and leading men and, you know, the supporting sidekick characters and the villain characters. And there are certain physical types that tend to go with those. And if a director chooses to do something opposite, that's a very deliberate, specific choice that, again, tells a different story. But that's, you know, it, it goes into you know, whatever the director's trying to do, whether they want to feed into what the traditional archetype of that character type is, or whether they want to subvert it. And, you know, sometimes a typical thing that people think of a lot in Shakespeare is like a leading lady is a, a the tall, strong lady. But if you cast a short, spunky spitfire, what does that do to the leading lady role in that play? So it's a similar thing, but in, in it also, in t instead of just like the cultural world references, also the world of the plays, you know? And really, in addition to um, the idea of the tall, striking, leading lady or, or whatever it is, that there's, I mean, it's a little bit of what we've been dancing around to a degree, um, which is the difficult fact of the matter that 
attractiveness matters in very many ways in terms of being an actor. And that is not to say at all that only attractive people can be actors. Um, but it is something that generally the leading characters in plays unless or films, unless there's a specific reason um, that they're not, tend to be attractive people. People want to follow the story of an attractive person. If you have to watch someone tell a harrowing story of their relationship with their dying father, generally audiences, I think, or minimally, the people who are casting those people for the audience, thinks the audience, would like to watch attractive people go through those problems. And so there is a degree to which, in terms of figuring out what your type is and working on your physical type and things like that, that there, that it tends to err in one of two directions, either being as attractive as possible or being as specific as possible. Because there really are things where somebody's not so much about that they're especially attractive, maybe they're especially nerdy, maybe they're especially you know, muscular, maybe they're especially tiny, maybe they're especially any number of things that become a defining factor. But there's very few roles, frankly, in the commercial theater or in film or in television for average-looking people, quote-unquote, uh, which is a very difficult thing. I mean, it's something that I've heard said a number of times by casting directors and things like that, that if you can't be at your ideal body weight, you're much better off being 40 pounds overweight than you are being 10 pounds overweight, you know, because at least then it's a physical type, it's a physical choice, it's something that's specific. And I actually am sitting here as the only non-actor at the table um, and, <laughs> and being glared at a little bit, um, you know, in, in, in saying that. But I'm curious for you guys, because I, I do think that that is a real reality of the business in many different ways. I'm A, curious to see if you guys think of it as being the reality of the business. But what is that like for yourselves as actors, as people who have built, spent time to build your talent so that you can, you know, play roles very well, and yet in order to really figure out what your product is and what you have to sell, to have to look in a mirror with perhaps a lot more criticism and quantification than the average person is required to. Well, it's interesting because I think for me or not for me personally, but like there are things that people can change. There are things that you really can't change. And there are things like weight, um, for example, that if you do drastically change your weight, if you lose a lot of weight, for example, you tend to look older. You know, it kind of affects many different things. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, I, I was told by a casting director that if I wanted to be a leading lady type, I needed to lose probably about 20 pounds. But And you are fairly tiny. Yeah. But otherwise, I shouldn't drop any weight because it will make me more specific in terms of I'll look older, um, I'll kind of get away from my type unless I'm willing to commit to the losing the 20 pounds. And it's, a, it's just a fine line to walk and I'm trying to figure out now every day, you know, what, what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I was told something very similar early, early on, my first round of headshots. And I think 
around the same time I did the first few shows I was in, the photographer said that in order to work and to, you know, to really um, thrive in this business that I would have to maintain a certain weight. And she told me to go on the protein diet before we did the headshots. And she thanked me for staying in the kind of shape that, I mean, well, this was a photographer, but she specialized in headshots. But that really stuck with me. And, you know, it's it's something that, I mean, sometimes if it comes down to working on a monologue or a side or whatever and going to the gym, I'll go to the gym because I'll think, well, at least I can be in shape for the role, which I don't think is the healthiest way to really <laughs> attack a career in acting necessarily, or it shouldn't be. Um, but I think there, you know, there are a lot of, not to, you know, play the world's tiniest violin, but there are a lot of... <laughs> I think there is a lot of outside pressure for actors to look really hot if you're going to play the nerd, <laughs> you know, or just, which doesn't make sense. Um, but yeah, that is something that's definitely stuck with me. And I do enjoy working out, so that helps, but I'm enjoying it less the older I get. I will say that. And you have to do more the older you get. <laughs> yes, you do. It actually yeah. gets harder to do. And it's also hard because there are roles that you look at in casting breakdowns that you would die to play. And you know you never will because you're not the right body type or facial type or whatever it is, you know. It, it's also interesting because it changes because a leading lady on stage can certainly be, a, you know, an average weight potentially. Whereas on film, you know, the camera does add weight to you. So you need to be an extreme in the other way. So, you know, even if you're a leading lady type, it's kind of two different things depending on what genre you're working in. We are sitting here with a group of primarily women and one male actor and me. But is it different for men and for women, the idea of what your physicality is in terms of what it dictates you can do in your career? And, you know, beyond that, potentially how the way that it dictates what you can do in your career impacts you as a person. Well, being the only other man in the room, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I, think, I think it's absolutely different for... <laughs> I'm getting evil looks by all the women now in the room. But really, I'm really trying to say something to champion for how much more difficult it is for women there is such an emphasis on women to be as, I mean, you see it every day in the tabloids, as tiny as possible. And for an industry that's heavily, there's so many male roles out there already. And then, so you have, you have a limited amount of roles. And then it's, it's like you have to be that much more what people want to look at. And I think guys can really get away with you know, being that 10, 20 pounds overweight and still be deemed charming in some way and being like the, you know, the best friend who's a little goofy, but that really makes them kind of cute and sexy. But for a woman, it's kind of the, if not definitely the exact opposite, which is hugely unfair. Well, it's interesting because talking about the nerd as an example, like, yeah, you can, you can play a nerd as a guy 
on film um, in theater, 20 pounds overweight, and it's charming and it's cute. And if you see characters in films, you know, that are female playing the nerd character, they're the hottie that they're putting glasses on for the most part. There are exceptions to that, of course, but they're still, their body is the same way and they're still very attractive. They've just been given kind of messy hair and glasses. Well, and to piggyback on something that Josh said and that like there's fewer roles there tend to be more male roles out there there's also more women actors trying to get those fewer roles so it's like you have to be the prettiest right and i also think it it figures in just culturally frankly to the fact that it matters to more of the audience that the female characters are attractive Uh men watching men on on camera or stage don't tend to care whether they're attractive or not and women watching men on camera or stage actually can be to one degree or another, talked out of whether it's important that they're attractive or not. Whereas both men and women tend to want the women that they watch to be attractive. That there's just something about the demand for that that I think is um, complicates things. Because, I mean, I think we can all think of a number of examples of male stars who are not especially good-looking. I'm not sure that I can really think of any not character actors, but female stars of any genre who are not very attractive. But I think part of that goes back to there aren't really roles mm-hmm. that require an unattractive lead female. Mm-hmm. Although is it that it doesn't Chicken require it or require or not, it's what they're looking for. I mean, there are plenty, I mean, on Law and Order, every deputy assistant DA doesn't have to be a former Victoria's Secret model, but they all are. You know, I mean, it's it's. I'm not even sure that it's a matter of role as much as it's a matter of just the general aesthetic, which is unfortunate. I mean, it, it actually is really unfortunate and yet really kind of true. It's. I mean, uh, Jenny, I think you were mentioning earlier today about girls as being interesting in this um, and Lena Dunham and... You know, I, I think, I mean, one of the things is actually that she's unconventional in terms of the types of people who normally populate television shows, but she is attractive, you know, it, you know, but not in the way that most actors who are on TV are attractive. And I wonder if that's going to change anything, because, I mean, I think with the response that that show has gotten, but in... That role, I mean, frankly, if she hadn't insisted on playing that role, you know, what they would have done is have her write that role and then, you know, have, you know, fill in the blank starlet, you know, play that role and just, again, muss up her hair and call her quirky. But there's something, I think, at least much more interesting about actually having Lena Dunham in there playing that part. I think that goes back to when you were talking about um, attractiveness or specificity in terms of the different paths of, um, of, of casting and physical type, um, for lack of a better word. Um, because I think there's something about looking in the mirror as an actor and having to take stock of what your real attributes are and figuring out not only what, what can you change, like Jenny said, or what do you want to change or what should you embrace but also figuring out what makes you attractive 
what are the things about you as an individual actor that you can embrace as the attractive elements of your physicality and running towards those and and running towards them in a way that enhances your overall package but helps you kind of chase down the roles that you can get and the the story you're trying to tell with yourself with your physicality as an actor and can I ask you guys, uh, as actors who have been in the business for a while, and all of whom I think if anyone who is listening to us saw on the street would think was an attractive person, what has it been like for you guys to be in this business uh, where just being someone who people would find attractive on the street might not necessarily you know, put you in the upper echelon of attractive in this business. And were there any particular experiences that you've had in your career where you realized how important your physicality was going to be to your career? And uh, how does it impact the way, you know, you, you think about yourself? I started when I was really young uh, in dance, which actually was all about body. Um, and what you looked like physically in terms of just everyone else in my class. I was really the heavy girl, honestly. And everyone else were these stick figure, you know, ballerina types. And I was kind of through high school and through college significantly overweight for my body frame, I guess. And there was something in college that clicked for me. And I think it was honestly probably being in New York and kind of seeing the people that are on the street and that are kind of, you know, auditioning and in the shows with me, even in college, that it clicked for me. And, and, I, and I had always thought, too, that it was like, oh, I'm big boned. I can't get thinner. Um, and I think I was using that as a stopping point. And there was something that clicked for me in college and I, I was determined to lose the weight. And I did, and I still struggle with it. But I think it was, um, I think I was conscious of it from a very early age through dance, primarily. I had a really similar experience because I um, was much heavier in college than I am now and, and then I was in high school. and. I wasn't in a professional acting setting, but even in a college acting setting, I just was not getting roles. Yeah. And I don't think it is because I was a weak actor at the time. I think it was because I didn't fit a type looking the way that I looked. And then um, I remember like angsty journal writing literally in my journal saying, why did I pick the one fucking career where it matters what you look like? <laughs> And it affects you in so many ways because not only is the deck stacked against you in terms of what you walk in with when the way you look, but for a lot of women, if they know they're not at their best, it, it tanks your confidence. And that affects your audition even more probably than the fact that you don't quite look right. So, And it's something, it kind of goes back to something that you said, Josh, earlier about going choosing to go to the gym versus looking over your sides. I literally was in the mindset of, oh, I'll, I'll take an acting class when I'm thin enough to take an acting class. And I think that was kind of the, the turning point where I did choose to go to the gym for a while before I took the acting class. Um, I was in a production of Grease the Musical, and I remember when the play was cast, 
the woman cast to play Jan, who was supposed to be the chubby girl in the Pink Ladies. The cast list was announced. I mean, she had auditioned. I don't know if they, I guess, never talked to her about what role they were considering her for. They were somewhat general auditions of like, you know, you sing, you dance, you read a scene. And so she was cast in the role. And then after everything had been announced, she pulled out of the show because she didn't want to play the fat girl, even though she, that was her type. And she was, she was a very confident, dynamic actress. And I was somewhat shocked that she did that, but um, she didn't want to identify as that character type. Yeah. That's also, as a director, that is so difficult to do when you have a role to cast that's like the fat guy or the, you know, ugly one, which there are plays that have that in there. And uh, it's just, I mean, I have never gotten used to doing that. It's just kind of awful. And yet I was also thinking I mean, today about Neil Labute's reasons to be pretty. That they have, you know, the beautiful girl and the unattractive girl. And the beautiful girl is Piper Perabu, who in fact, you know, by anyone's measure is a beautiful girl. And the unattractive girl is Alison Pill, who by anyone's measure is an incredibly attractive girl. And but that was for, you know, for a, a high profile production, Alison Pill qualified as the unattractive girl, which is, you know, I mean, I'd watch her in anything. So that's fine if that's what they want to cast her in, I guess. But that says something kind of awful, it seems to me, if that's the way the casting went for a character who, by definition, was supposed to be the unattractive girl, quote-unquote. Although I guess that will make other people feel better when they are cast as the unattractive girl, I suppose. But On the, on the flip side of that, also I see in breakdowns all the time, actually I think I, I emailed it to Carrie and a couple of people in our company, that it was a breakdown for literally, we are looking for stunningly beautiful, natural, gorgeous women. Like literally adjective after adjective <laughs> of like stunning, striking beauty, all this stuff. And I was like, I would, A, I don't feel comfortable submitting myself to this. <laughs> and I would feel like an asshole submitting myself for it. But I like, I know that that's not what I am. And I gravitate towards the like, we're looking for average people in the you know, in the breakdowns. And I know I'm, you know, no, no, fuck it. Well, no, it is important. You're, you're you not. are well above average. And, you know, but it, but it, it, it is something that, you know, that is, it is a challenging thing in terms of in this business, you know, it's sort of, you know, you've got to notch yourself down three points on the, ten, you know, one yeah. to 10 scale. And if you're talking about someone who's like a 10, you've got to find somebody who's a 13, you know, and that's, you know, a, a challenging, challenging thing to do. And if you, yeah. And you really have to understand that your, your confidence is sort of on your shoulders. You can't take your confidence or lack of confidence from a breakdown for a role. Mm -hmm. You can't define your, yourself based on those descriptions. And it is also just important to realize, I think, the subjectiveness of all of it. That on one hand or another, you know, because I think what you were saying before, Jen, about that you want to make yourself as, a, you know, find what's attractive about you and make it as attractive as possible. Because frankly, what else are you going to do short of plastic surgery, which is actually something we should discuss in, in light of this, because uh, that is something that people do. Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is what people find attractive 
is variable. And, you know, it isn't as though there's the everybody walks it. Because if it was that easy, people, you know, there would be some rating service and everyone just put it in the upper right-hand corner of their uh, resume, what they've been rated. And they say, we're looking for a seven for this part and only seven show up. But it's going to be the person who's casting the role is going to look and say, this is either A, the what I find attractive, which, I mean, there's a degree to which you only really know what you find attractive, so that is going to figure in. Or I think in a more sophisticated way, this is the kind of attractive that I want this mm -hmm. character to be. You know, anyway, it, it, I, th I think it is worth, worth realizing that we're also, as much as part of what we're talking about today is the fact that there is perhaps a, a heavier burden put on attractiveness level than necessarily even makes all of us comfortable. It is also to say that, you know, there isn't like anything else we've ever talked about, there's not a right or a wrong answer. Um, it's, it's what the person is looking for. And I also think it's apropos of nothing in this particular moment, but the fact that we have frankly found this as complicated to talk about as I think we have, because it is uncomfortable to talk about because you're not supposed to talk about these things with people. You're not supposed to comment about what people look. If you don't have anything nice, you're not supposed to say anything at all. But the reason for all of that is because what people look like and what we attach to what people look like is such a deeply rooted thing in our culture and in our biology in such a way that, of course, it matters when you're casting a role for exactly the reason that it's difficult to talk about. Um, you know, and I actually had a, a, a coaching session uh, with somebody earlier today, a career coaching session, and it was a little uncomfortable because it was me sitting in a room with this 22-year-old girl who had just gotten out of college, you know, and she's talking about her headshots and things like that, and she's like, I really like this headshot, and to have to say, because it was important, you know, I actually think you want a three-quarter shot because you have a round face and people might get a different idea of your body, but you actually have a very good body, which is going to be a big selling point for yourself as you're out there in the industry, which not for nothing was, I think, an important thing to say. I think was an appropriate and responsible thing to say as someone who was, you know, providing her some coaching services on how to uh, frame her product. But... As a person sitting alone in a room with another person who I had not met two days ago, that was a frankly uncomfortable conversation to have, even though what I was saying was a very nice thing. But you're not supposed to consider that about people in life. And yet, we have all chosen a business where people consider that in a very real way. And it's pervasive. I mean, it's not nearly as much as it is when you're an actor. But frankly, as a playwright and director, being in a business where people are constantly aware of, you know, of how they are viewing physically the people who are in front of them, it is something that I feel pressure, you know, to keep my look up as a director, because I think that's, part of how people think about people who are not actors in this business. You know, whether it's just because people are look, used to looking at people like that when they are in this business or what, but it, it's pervasive. I mean, it really is. And it's not always just about like keeping fit and keeping trim. It's, it's so much else 
wrapped up in it. I know I go to EPAs a lot and I often see people at EPAs whose style, either it's styling of their hair or makeup or the clothes they're wearing is just dated. And you can tell this has been their audition outfit since the 90s. Mm -hmm. And or this, this has been the perm they've had since the 90s. And either they don't realize that walking into an audition for a contemporary play looking like that isn't doing them any favors or you know, they're just being stubborn about this is my look. But it's interesting that it's so much more than just even like the physical material. It's like the embellishment you do to it as well, you know? And even just like someone changing their makeup can make them look much more current or much more marketable. You know? Yeah. And I also think that it is worth saying again, I think, that it is not only about being attractive. I mean, that's part of it. But again, that idea of the dichotomy of attractive versus specific. And you don't have to be a, you know... You know, you don't have to, you, you can be specific without being attractive, but you need to embrace that if that is your look and you are, have chosen to be an actor, you're going to be cast as the unattractive friend. And just to understand that frankly, frankly, there's a lot fewer unattractive friend people out there in the business than there are attractive friend people. I mean, so there's a degree to which if you're willing to, you know, go out there and present that as part of your product, you know, I mean, there's a degree to which John Goodman, who I think is a deeply underrated actor, you know, there was a relatively limited spectrum of roles that he was going to get cast in. But if you look at film and television in the late 80s and early 90s, he got every one of those roles. You know, and part of it is because he's very talented, but also because a lot fewer people who look like him decided to become actors. So you actually can by embracing what your specific type is. Um, you know, even if it isn't attractive, you can really build a career on that, but you do have to have the strength and wherewithal to realize that you're going to be being cast in roles that are not necessarily flattering things to be told that you are. And to embrace that specificity if you are John Goodman or, you know, I was just reading in a magazine today, Jennifer Grey, who is in Dirty Dancing and it's the big anniversary and they, you know, interviewed her and she famously got a nose job after Dirty Dancing and then has been quoted as saying it was the biggest regret of her life because she didn't get any work after that. It is what people identified her as, and she was attractive with her nose, you know, but it was very specific, and she kind of neutralized herself and made herself look beautiful with a nose job, but she looked like every other person, and no one remembered her as the person that had just been this huge part in this cult awesome film. So what do you do if you are an actor with a body type or other physical type that is not necessarily getting in the category of attractive? You've chosen specific or the universe has chosen specific um, for you. What can you do in terms of building your career? What considerations do you want to keep in mind when you are someone who's taking that path? Well, I think kind of what Jen said in, in that 
I think a lot of it is just embracing it. You know, if you are the tall, overweight guy with crazy hair, be the tall, overweight guy with crazy hair. Don't try the to tallest, like... tallest, overweightest guy. <laughs> with the craziest <laughs> hair. You know, don't like, don't try to be the, the George Clooney, you know? Well, I think that's actually so. And I actually think that there's a lesson in that for all of the other parts of your type is that if you're, you know, six foot tall and 500 pounds, you know, you're not, you, no matter what you do in that audition room, you're always going to be six foot tall and 500 pounds. Like that's not something you can change. So you'd might as well go in and give it to them full out that this is what I am. And if that's what they want, you are definitely going to be the person they take that day. If you're not, they were always going to figure out, no matter how much you sucked it in or slouched, that you were six foot tall and 500 pounds. But, you know, that is also, you know, true of all of the other parts of your type, too, ultimately. Um, you know, and I think that that idea of going in just with all of it and showing people what you've got and, you know, let them decide if what you bring to the role is what they want in the role. I think it's also important not to be defensive about it. I think em embracing it for sure, but also realizing that your specific, what makes you specific also will make you not the person that people are looking for in certain roles that you might want to be hired for. And recognizing that sometimes that is something that, that people can change their mind about and other times you are specific in a totally different way. And not, not to take it personally and not to get defensive about it because um, then you get in your way when you are the right person for the role. And I think that there is also you know, things that you can do is, is one, to think about what kind of roles does your specific physicality uh, help? You know, what will it add to? And, you know, try to get out for those roles. You know, but additionally, beyond that, I mean, as we've talked about in other episodes, your career is going to be based, well, your career is going to be based on several things. But two things are applicable here, which is one is going to be based on what makes you unique. You know, so you want to embrace those things that make you unique. And again, even if you are saying you're playing the attractive track of things, you want to work on what makes you uniquely attractive, um, you know, in terms of that. But also that your, your career is going to be built on relationships. And that idea of getting to know directors, getting to know so that they understand what you're about. Because, I mean, there's one actress I knew who I just happened to know and I've seen in things who had a very pronounced limp. And... I ended up casting her in something just because I thought she'd be great for the part and it had nothing to do with that. But she actually talked about the fact that every role she'd ever been cast in, they cast her because they wanted somebody with a believable disability. And for me, it was just going to be something that was true about the character because I liked the other stuff that she brought to it. But to be candid, if she had just shown up to an audition, the thing that would have struck me as being unique in an audition situation probably would have been the disability. And, you know, so that idea of putting yourself in positions when you do have a unique physicality of some point, of, of, in some way, of letting people get to know you, you know, can be really helpful. And the other thing is, if you have something especially unique, get writers to write for you. 
you know, that that actually is something that can really strike a writer's imagination to be like, this is, and I actually know these two identical twins. It's not quite the same thing, but these two identical twins who I don't even know if they can act, but I have always wanted to write a show for them just because, wow, to do a show that is built on identical twins. But similarly, if you've got someone, you know, who's a really interesting actor who's seven and a half feet tall, like, that would be a really exciting thing to write a play for. And when that happens, because it happens other places where people will write a play for an actor, and then just the way things turn out, they're able to get a more high-profile actor, they're able to get whatever. The odds of them finding a more high-profile, seven-foot-six-inch actor is fairly slim. You know, so that idea, I mean, it's, uh, again, you're going to build your career on your relationships, but, you know, a playwriting relationship where a, a playwright can actually write a play for someone very unique and actually say, and I've got that person, that actually can be a great teaming for both the playwright and the actor. What about roles that call on you to change your look or your body type? You know, there frankly are some relatively legendary, you know, stories of uh, you know, Robert De Niro putting on 40 pounds to play Jake LaMotta and, you know, Matt Damon losing 40 pounds for his part in that Iraq courage, War, I mean, courage, courage Under, under fire. fire. Yeah. It does not happen nearly as often as people are cast for their physicality. But, you know, what do you do and what are your thoughts on roles that call on you to change away from um, what is your, you know, naturally occurring or physicality, or at least the physicality you're building your career on? I think it's a case-by-case -case situation. Some things are as simple, simple to some people as a haircut, and having been somebody who has spent a great deal of my career with very long hair, it, it mattered to me anytime that was on the table, what the contract was, what, what the role was, what the job was, um, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which would be something like gaining and losing a great deal of weight, which can affect your health, and really making a decision about whether the opportunity and the role and the work are worth changing you know, the fundamental elements of your physicality and the risks on the table. Well, it's also something as an actor, you see it, I think, mostly in TV, or at least the examples that I'm thinking of you see in TV between seasons of shows where either the actors are looking at themselves and I'm thinking of actors who have lost significant amounts of weight between the first and the second season or gotten their teeth done or, you know, done something to their physical appearance to improve it because they've either seen what they've looked like or people from the outside have suggested that they then lose weight or, or something after they've already been cast in a role and, and established this role for a season. Or even within a season, I remember seeing shows with teenage characters and throughout the season, especially if it was a new show that suddenly became very hot and they could tell it was gonna be a thing, like the teenage character's skin all of a sudden cleared up immaculately because yeah. they were all going to high-priced dermatologists now that the show was a hit you know or their mm. you know the publicist of the show said you are now going to high-priced dermatologists because our show is a hit that actually that idea of keeping your skin up is actually something that is 
you know, a very real uh, consideration we haven't talked about yet in, in addition to weight and things like that. But it makes a difference. It makes a big difference, you know, in terms of the age that you read and things like that. It's, you know, if, if, you're, if you're getting a lot of work playing a, you know, playing teenagers or college students, even though you're in your, you know, mid-late 20s, having a very strict skincare regimen, you know, is, is, is an important part of keeping that part of your career alive. What about uh, one sort of uh, a little bit complicated, additionally complicated area of your body type and, and potentially your body image related to it is scenes and shows that involve nudity or even sexuality, depending on the nature of it, or partial nudity. I mean, I know that's something that most of you or all of you have, have done at some point or another. How does or does that have any additional weight for you than uh, any other role you might play? Well, it's funny because the one role that I've done that had nudity in it was actually a role that ties into the, the idea of like certain things that were written into a script about a character because the character I was playing, it, it's talked about a lot in the script that she has big boobs. And the whole reason for the nudity at the end of the play is because the male characters are like checking to see if her boobs are fake or real. And I don't consider myself as someone who has particularly large boobs. <laughs> and so I was so self-conscious about that in regards to the nudity in terms of like the believability of this moment. <laughs> it was like no one would believe that I had fake boobs. <laughs> but it was but it's funny because that's what I was concerned about. Whereas like the director and the other actors in the room were so concerned about like if I was okay with this and almost to the point where it made me more uncomfortable because they were so uncomfortable about mm -hmm. it. I was just worried about like no one's gonna believe this. <laughs> I mean, I've had to do several shows with where I've had to be had to have been shirtless for an act or you know a scene or whatnot, and but when all those things happened, that's when I was already I already had a regimen and I was already going to the gym and not maybe specifically for that show. I was also younger, so I didn't have to worry about it as much. I mean, we we touched on that earlier. The older you get, the the harder it is to stay in shape. So now, even if I'm doing a show where I don't, it's kind of going. Back, backing away from the topic, but even if I'm doing a show that doesn't require nudity, I'll still bump up my workout regimen so I at least feel like I look like what people will want to see, which isn't necessarily what I want in line with what I want, but it ends up being this cycle of like, it makes me more comfortable with myself, I feel better about myself. And while some of that is okay, so I, you know, I wonder at what point it just gets so ingrained in you that it's not necessarily healthy anymore, but it's just kind of the pattern that you've developed for yourself. I was working on a production, a really in a, a very large stage in a very large theater um, that required nudity, and I was understudying. So I was never entirely sure whether I was going to be doing the nudity or not. And the actress who was playing the role was being very diligent about her diet, and we both felt strongly that we needed we needed to look very young, so we weren't overdoing it on exercise or trying to, to do anything with that. But I found that for me to feel confident about it, I needed to make sure that I wasn't being 
incredibly obsessive about my calorie intake or anything. I, I decided to embrace the fact that this is what I look like and this is who I am. And the way that I'm gonna feel confident doing this on a moment's notice is to feel like I'm doing it as myself. But it was a decision that I had to make and I made the opposite decision that the other actress was making. We actually have in the room with us today one of our graduate apprentices who is uh, studying with us this summer, uh, Leah Philly, who is a going to be a third year MFA student at the Actors Studio Drama School uh, in just a matter of weeks at this point. But you were talking earlier today, Leah, about uh, the fact that you recently did a show, and actually a show directed by Jen Kerfman, who's with us today, where there was not nudity, but there was near nudity in it, and that you also had a, a complicating factor to, uh, to your preparation for it. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, no, it was an interesting experience for me uh, to confront because I would normally approach something like this having, well, having to approach it being scantily clad, as it was described. Um, I would have gone through perhaps a more, I don't know, a more focused workout regiment um, in order to prepare for it. But in the weeks leading up to the production, I had a bad bike accident and wasn't able to use my elbow properly. And so usually my what I do is yoga and I would, would have done a lot of that. And I found that not being able to do that, I had to approach it in a very different manner. And I had to approach it from the standpoint of embracing what I had now rather than what I felt I could achieve in the, in the coming weeks. And so having to really be okay with my body as it was and having to be very focused on that and realizing that I was able to get there by the time of the performance but it, it was definitely very specific and very focused in order to do that. And it's also speaking as a director it's, it's really an interesting thing because I know it's a very difficult thing to get up and get undressed or to the point of being scantily clad in front of a room full of people and wanting to look good. But it's something I think I talked about in our episode about nudity and sexuality on stage, that if you want to be quote-unquote sexy, you don't want the person to actually get totally undressed. There's, you know, sexiness is about mystery. Sexiness is, um, you know, about an awful lot of things that isn't about having someone get fully undressed. And so part of it, if there is going to be nudity, you know, you generally... It's generally, I think, about nakedness when it's effective. And so there's a degree to which having a real person's body naked, almost no matter what, it, what that person's body looks like, is almost always the thing that you want in a moment of nudity. You know, and there are certain things, but it's sort of that question of whether you're looking for a perfect body, which there might be moments where you are. It's the goddess Athena emerges from, okay, well... You know, in that case, that might be what you're looking for. You know, but that's part of why, I mean, I really love the... I mean, we were talking about girls before. But, I mean, I love the, the way that they deal with the sex scenes and stuff in girls about the fact that it feels much more real than almost any other sex scenes you see in almost anything. And part of it is how it's shot, but also part of it is that they're not seemingly very self-conscious about where they're bent so where there's a crease and where they're and I think there's sort of that embrace in a moment that's about truth and nakedness of 
the nakedness looking truthfully like it would look, I actually find very interesting. I mean, it's, it's, that's me as a director. You know, but I actually find even more complicated, I think, when you're looking for truth, is when you're talking about moments of sexuality on stage, where it's people being intimate with each other, even if they're not necessarily undressed, because there's a degree to which the way you are intimate with someone with one body type is going to be different than the way you're intimate with someone who has a different body type. And that idea of that there can very often be when there's sexuality expressed on stage, sort of the general groping and rolling around. But if you want it to be truthful, you know, it's actually that complicated factor of getting the one actor, or at least the one character, to actually objectify the other person's body in the way it actually is. Do you guys have thoughts? I mean, obviously we've been talking about the actor's body as part of their product, but the actor's body is actually also the primary instrument that the actor has to play. And do you have thoughts about sort of how the care and feeding of an actor's body and if if there are thoughts about the ways that that intersects with keeping your body flexible and able and all of the things you want your body to be while also maintaining the body type that fits your product. Exercise is certainly important and I think we've talked a lot about weight and gaining and losing weight but I think that exercise as a tool for maintaining your physical type as it is and your instrument and your sanity is really important and figuring out what if you're in a position where you're trying to change your weight what kind of a regimen that involves and if you're in a position where you're trying to uh, maintain that body type what what are the kinds of exercise that you can do that um, that really sort of enhance your daily life and don't necessarily build more muscle or help you lose more weight because I think one of the most important things in what you just said is to maintain your instrument. Because I think even if you are the overweight guy, you it can only help you if you're also the overweight guy who can bend over backwards, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of having a really flexible, versatile instrument. And minimally, the overweight guy who can do eight shows a week, you know, which is not an easy thing to do uh, that's you know that is you know that there really is a degree to which actors are athletes in in a certain degree and and that idea the same way that different athletes in different sports need different body types and need to do different kind of upkeep to have the right sets of muscles working you know so do actors with different you know body types need but still it's a uh, uh, you know, to do an eight-show-a-week run of a show or to be on a rigorous set, you know, is something that requires, um, you know, some real, genuine, basic physical fitness. Well, in a show that uh, Caitlin and I both saw, One Man, Two Governors, that's uh, currently on Broadway, James Corden, who won the Tony, is kind of an overweight guy who is the lead guy in this extreme extraordinarily physical role where he's literally rolling across the floor and running back and forth and you know is the lead character in this you know two-hour play every night um, and he has to be in incredible shape 
And there also is something about that, because I love that show. But it wouldn't have been as funny if he hadn't been overweight. Yeah. I mean, you know, that it, the fact that he was overweight is actually important to the way that that show plays, and yet he still needs to be able to do all of the things that he does. And that goes back to maintaining the type that you want to be, because many actors find themselves in that position where they're suddenly on that kind of a performance schedule and weight is falling off of them, and they actually have to work hard to maintain and keep their weight up mm -hmm. in order to stay the type that they are. And I think it's also really important to, in terms of keeping yourself healthy, obviously you need to be hydrated, you need to be sleeping, you need to know what your physical uh, limits are and try to abide by those. But it's also important that you're giving yourself some things that you enjoy too. If you're trying to lose weight, if you're, if you're trying to maintain a weight, knowing that nachos is something that makes you happy. <laughs> As an example, giving yourself an opportunity to not always keep a tight rein on your type, but finding a way that you can live with this physical self that you are presenting to the world. Smoking is something I think about too because there seems to be like a, a stereotype of this, you know, brooding actor who lives on nicotine and coffee. And and there are, you know, I know lots of actors who are smokers and, and many of them, you know, operate fine physically. But what I always think of when I see those actors is how much better could you operate if you weren't smoking? So, you know, that's a really big part of people's lives and it affects everything. It affects your skin. It affects, especially on film, it affects your teeth. Even your hands get affected by smoking and it's just a bad thing. As people who have been in this business for a while that has these complicating factors that we've been discussing tonight around the table, for people who are starting out in this business, do you have any thoughts about ways to think about their relationship with their body and the way that their body fits into their product that you either had when you were starting out or wish that you had when you were starting out? Don't start smoking. <laughs> well, I think it's empowering to know that your body is your instrument, that it's your job to keep it up or to, to do everything that we've been talking about this episode. And it's just to embrace that and to know that that's what you're signing up for and that it's okay. And I think it's important to, to look in the mirror and be really, really honest with yourself, but on both sides of that, to be really honest about what you can change and maybe ought to change, and what you don't need to change and shouldn't change, mm -hmm. and to recognize what is both an opportunity for growth and an asset that you can really embrace and use to your advantage, and to be really honest with yourself about both of those things. And I think something that I have seen people wrestle with, and this is a tough thing to say to people who are starting out, but I think an important thing, which is I've seen a lot of people who are starting out who really dig their heels in about the idea that it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter, and they will not allow it to matter. And I've actually known actors who have been like, they will prove that it doesn't matter, and they will put on 20 pounds intentionally. I've known more than one more than one actor who has done that and proved that they still can get work 
even when they are no longer the physical type that matches their product. And none of them have been right that I have known. And, you know, it is something that should it matter? I don't know whether it should matter. I mean, frankly, for reasons we talked about, the way people look can impact storytelling in a legitimate way. Should there be more variability in the way that people look in films and television and theater? I think absolutely there should be more variability. That said, it is a reality of this business. It very simply is that when we're talking about your product that you have to sell is about the intersection between your intellectual, emotional, and physical makeup, your physical makeup is an important part of that. And if you do not feel that you have the emotional and intellectual wherewithal to be in a business that the judgment of your physicality is an important part of the way that people think about you and look at you, being an actor is probably not the business for you, which is okay. And not to chase people away from being an actor based on that, but it can be, I have seen it be very destructive to people. Strangely, I've not seen it be very destructive to people who have embraced the fact that that is the reality of the business they've chosen, but people who have tried to do battle with that, many of them I've seen end up really pretty scarred from both the battle with the business and also the battle that it's forced them to have with their own image of themselves. You know, it's just, I think, an important, you know, thing to, you know, to, to consider. It's a reality of this business. But I also think something I said before that I, I, I also think is, is really helpful is that I think it's important at least as much in the way that it's important to an athlete as it is the way that it's important to a model. And I think certainly in terms of the way that you want to think about yourself, you know, to think about yourself as being an athlete. You, sh you would not expect to be able to have a career in, you know, the, in Major League Baseball if you were not working hard to stay in shape and not just generically in shape, but specifically to have the kind of body that plays baseball well. You know, it's, um, it's Michael Jordan. No one would ever say that he was not a person who was in shape, and yet the kind of shape that he was in was not well that play, one that played baseball particularly well when he decided that that's what he was going to do. But nobody could play basketball better than he could. You know, and I think it's just um, an important thing to realize that if you're going to be an actor, you need to make peace with the fact that your body and your physicality is part of the thing that you're putting out there on the market and that no one made you put it out there on the market. It's a choice that you made. And as Jenny said, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, I think a way to embrace that about the business and a way to find it empowering is sort of in some way to not take it personally like just because your physicality is a certain way doesn't mean you're a certain type of person it just means you're a certain type of actor and you know if you can somehow it's it's really really hard because in our culture your physical appearance is so tied into who you are 
for better or worse. And a lot of people feel like it's for worse. But, um, you know, I, I try to think back, like, if I could have somehow taken it less personally when I was 20 years old and needed to lose 20 pounds, I think I would have been a lot happier and just been like, even though it's not easy to lose 20 pounds, but just thinking, okay, if this is what I want to do, this is what I have to do. And, and it doesn't make me a bad person. <laughs> and to realize that everyone is struggling with it, whether it be weight, whether it be skin problems, whether it be every mm -hmm. single person in this business has to deal with it. And it's a reality that everyone is dealing with to whatever degree. Or even if it's ethnicity, you know, and that's something you can't really change. It's like, well, I'm not going to take it personally that I am an Asian man and I'm not maybe going to play certain roles. And that's just... How it is. And if you bring that energy into the audition room and into the work that you do, the, you're going to get, you, you'll, you'll even up, you'll up your chances that much more with getting cast or doing good work because you're going to have confidence behind what you're doing, which sometimes that's all it comes down to. I mean, I think somebody made a point earlier, I think you did, Kit, about coming into the room with thinking that you have... I'm totally paraphrasing what you your, the story you told, but thinking that you have all these strikes against you, but if you go in and just give it your all and just blow it out there, you might get the part. I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you like what you're hearing and would like to let other people know about the podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues and also go to iTunes where you can give us stars and write a review. If you're not subscribed, you can also subscribe at iTunes. If you'd like to know more about the Cry Havoc Company, our educational programs, classes, coachings, upcoming public events, and how you can support the work of the company, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we are the Cry Havoc Company, and you can find us on Twitter at CryHavocNYC. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, please email us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself, Jen, Jenny, Josh, Carrie, Caitlin, Leah, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.